John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh! Absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, it's so great to be back in your life. It's Monday, March 1st, 2021, episode 290 of the Anik and Florian podcast. We're going to do the entire show today in a Boston accent. <laughs> Ken Flo, it's good to see you, man. Your hair's looking pretty good. You're back from Washington, D.C., uh, yes. a little south of there, whereabouts unknown. Yeah, absolutely. I don't tell anybody where I'm at. You know, <laughs> that's what a ninja does. Hey, you know, man, listen, uh, interesting car this weekend. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, we got some beautiful weather wherever I'm at. And uh, good that you're home uh, safe, buddy. How's your buddy Ryan Hall doing? Because uh, it's a sort of a polarizing thing at this point for mixed martial arts fans, right? Because yeah. you and I love the man, right? But a lot of fans love the potential and are just really curious to see him ascend and it just seems for one reason or another that injuries or COVID or something becomes part of the narrative. And then when he finally gets the good, uh, the big fight that he has sought, uh, yeah. he can't make the walk. So what's going on there at 50, 50. Yeah. You know, it, it's extremely frustrating. He's been, he's been very frustrated, um, had a bad injury um, and, you know, is looking to get back in there as quickly as possible. He wants to stay super active this year. So that's the plan anyway. Um, but, uh, for one, for, for one reason or another, uh, you know, fate loves irony and, uh, you know, um, the, yeah. these injuries and different things are, are coming about, but, uh, I'm hoping that he should be, you know, close to hundred percent in another couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, he started, he's been doing his rehab, uh, pretty much every day and, and doing some light training here and there. Uh, he's limited, but, uh, hoping to be back as soon as possible and, and, and stay busy this year. And Danny Gay will uh, will stay on that fight card. They got him a replacement yeah. opponent. Uh, all right, well, let's get to headlines. UFC fight night. Rosenstrike versus gone. Ken Flo, to what extent do you think I would alienate the, the listenership if I did the entire show in a Boston <laughs> accent today? Seriously, do you think that would really bother people? I find that most people either love the accent or absolutely hate it. There is no there, there is no in between with the Boston accent. There's no one who's like, hey, it's okay. It's right, you either right. hate it or you love yeah. it. Yeah. Kind of like the mustache. Exactly. Exactly. So I had a, a, a media member, and I'm not going to reveal this man's name, but reach yeah. out to me, however softly, yesterday and say, hey, I just want to let you know my my significant other thinks the mustache ages you significantly. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, man, like uh Thanks, I guess. I don't know. Cool. Uh, and I said to him, you know, people really just have strong opinions about the mustache. And then he follows yeah. up with, well, I really like it. And it's like, well, are you burying the lead? Because you can say, hey, man, like, I really like it. But my wife thinks you look exponentially worse because I do feel like women don't seem to be to be as on board as the men. And uh, obviously, if I was solely driven by that opinion, I would not continue to wear a mustache on television it, it's questions like that where i respond with a question similar to you know what else ages a slap <laughs> in the face That's and right. then you just slap them right. across the face and Aren't then, you, yeah exactly yeah. you know what you can do you can touch touch your top lip to your bottom lip okay <laughs> touch your top lip to your bottom lip all right so it was Cito gone about a three to one favorite over Jorginho rosen strike 50 to 45 times three unanimous decision 
what an easy fight to score because yeah. not one of those five rounds had more damage than another. I don't want to call it a pedestrian effort because Ciro Gan was dominant and he was scratchless mm -hmm. after the fight. And ultimately, yeah. when you prioritize winning, uh, sometimes you get a fight that isn't aesthetically pleasing to uh, to the casual or avid viewer. But uh, Ciro Gan got it done and he's going to get a big fight next and, and maybe we'll be pushed more in that one. But you congratulate the Frenchman and I guess you move on. Listen, you know, there were a lot of complaints about uh, the fact that we didn't see, you know, this crazy fight. Um, the reality is, is for me, the norm isn't necessarily, um, you know, what we should expect from every fight and and also what is actually correct. I, I think that uh, a performance like Gunn, uh, you know, that what he gave us on Saturday night was very impressive in that, you know, like you said, he took no damage that fight. Rosenstrike is a very dangerous dude that has knocked out a lot of men. How did it go for Alistair Overeem when he was trying to go for the kill? Didn't go well at the very end. That was in the fifth round. And, yeah. you know, I think when, when you put it all together and you say, all right, I'm winning this fight, let's say three rounds to zero. What do I gain by being more aggressive or maybe being a little bit more wild and pursuing this finish? Um, you make yourself more vulnerable. You don't, you don't, you know, unless you're, you have a skill discrepancy, which is significant here, um, you know. You know, he just wasn't able to, to do that. He wasn't able to get the finish. And I think that he's still learning. He he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. You know, it's not like he's got 20, 30 fights under his belt at this point in his career. But um, with that said, I, I think it was extremely impressive. And, and we can't expect, you know, all these brawls. Uh, Rosenstrike wasn't able to be effective because of that brilliant jab from Gunn. And I know, as you tweeted, when the wrestling and the gra grappling part of Cyril Gan's game starts to close the gap on his striking, he has the potential to be a real problem. Yeah. And I often think in heavyweight MMA, sometimes you have a guy like Rosenstrike in this instance who is trying to force that one mistake. And Conan Silvera is in his corner, and that's a big part of him philosophically as a coach, right? Trying to force that one mistake. And mm -hmm. Cyril Gan wasn't going to make that one mistake. And he didn't give Rosenstrike that opening. Some are critical of Rosenstrike, and maybe he's critical of himself in this instance for just not being a touch more aggressive. And uh, I don't know. I think I thought there would be a little bit more urgency out of him in rounds four and five. And uh, for whatever reason, we didn't really see it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if that's the best approach because – I think coaches should work under the assumption that there aren't are not going to be mistakes made. You know, I, I think that while that again is the norm in mixed martial arts that we see a lot of faults and uh, mistakes made, you have to approach it from the from the point of what weaponry they have and what weaponry do you have? What advantages do you have outright uh, compared to what they have? And if you're waiting for a mistake, sometimes those don't come. And I know that I've made that mistake in preparing for certain fights. Mm. Um, and that doesn't always come to, to materialize. So I, I think that, um, a, a better approach should have been made on, on the part of Rosenstrike and his camp. And, um, you know, I think it's a lesson for all of us. I think that's fair. And you do hear a lot of fighters talk about being over-focused or hyper-focused on their opponent's strengths. Focus on yourself. Don't be afraid right. to think about your power. And I think a lot of Rosenstrike's mentality coming into this fight and I am getting this from our fighter meeting was just about sprints and conditioning and being in shape to wrestle or grapple. I think he thought he was going to get more of that from Cito Gan. And uh, for whatever reason, he did not get that because Cito Gan didn't really need to uh, go there. And when he did try to take him down, there was resistance from Rosenstrike. I would also 
inject into the conversation as we look at this card big picture. 25-foot octagon does not just produce finishes every single weekend, you know, week in and week out. I have said before, Joe Silva wanted this 25-footer for every show, and Dana White wanted the 30-footer to still be in place for the big shows. And I agree with Dana. You know, I like the pageantry of it all. I think the sport is better overall in that 30-footer. And I know I'm in the minority when I say that, but Kempflo, you come up on that fence really quickly. And I hate to, I don't know, you're the expert, okay? But like to me, it's like I'm watching. It's like, man, you're up on that fence awfully quickly. It it lends itself to a lot of grappling. And especially with the heavyweights, man, you retreat. You make one step backward. You're up against the fence. There's no room to breathe. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I really do. I think that it is a definite advantage for the grapplers because, you know, again, they don't have as much space to move around. And for anyone who expects to just strike and circle around the octagon, if your footwork isn't very precise, and if it isn't sharp, you're going to find yourself up against the cage very quickly, which is inherently an advantage for the grappler. No doubt about it. And if you're Aljamain Sterling, I'm not saying he can't beat Piotr Jan in a 30-footer, but if he had to choose the cage size, he's taking the 25-footer every day of the week. And Aljo's got great footwork. And I'm not even saying that Sterling can't beat Jan in a kickboxing match, but uh, you could be sure if there was a choice in octagon, Piotr Jan would want the 30-footer to uh, to work his tools on the feet. All right, well, we congratulate Seattle Gan. And uh, I saw my colleague John Gooden suggested maybe a main event between Seattle Gan and Tom Aspinall. I like that fight, but uh, Gan might be on to uh, bigger things because he's going to be in the top five by the time this podcast is posted. I've gotten away from the Boston accent, by the way. That really was an initiative today. I'm going to skip over the co-main event right now. Later in the program, if we can wake Ray Longo in Las Vegas, Nevada. He wants our producer, Cody Merrow, to start cold calling him a half hour before his appearance today to make sure that he wakes up. So Longo's at the end of the show. We will talk about this card and certainly the co-main event. But I want to get to Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. What a fight. This is twice now, six years separated, that these guys have turned in. Just an absolute battle and great fight for the fans. And one thing that I think was similar for both fighters coming in here, Ken Flo, is they are liberated in some respect by the fact that they're not in title eliminators, at least right now. You know, for a while, Munoz had a long winning streak. Jimmy Rivera was like 19 and one. And I think it allows them to engage with a little more reckless abandon. I mean, hey, Pedro Munoz has always had this style and and Rivera, I think, in a lot of respects as well. But sometimes I think when the when the stakes are a little bit lower, uh, you can get just an amazing fight. And uh, both guys went for it. A lot of toughness. This is what it's all about, kid. An exciting fight, wasn't it? You know. I think that when you look at Munoz and his approach, or, or if you looked at the way that he matched up against Rivera, Rivera seemed to me to have the heavier hands. Um, it looked like Rivera wanted to get in the pocket, exchange, and hope that he was going to catch Munoz. See, I think he believed that he hit harder, that he was a little bit faster, and that might have been true. But what the calf kick does, it, it is it is the great equalizer against someone who wants to box with you. If you are in the pocket or just outside of the pocket, at that range, that calf slicer will mess you up. Why? Because most boxers are kind of trying to sneak their way in and they're kind of trying to slickly get on the inside and land that shot. The problem is that typically if you want to gain a lot of power, you get very low in your stance. You sit down on your punches, as they say. And as you're doing that, you're putting a lot of weight on that lead leg. The more weight you're putting on that lead leg, the more that calf kick is going to 
mess up your world. And that's exactly what Munoz did. That really was the story of this fight. Like we've seen so many times, it changes the whole dynamic of a fight. And yes, uh, Rivera was extremely tough and was able to push through 15 minutes and make it a competitive fight. However, he was fighting with one leg, period. Yeah. And I do think that if you're looking for answers as to how fighters navigate this once they've been compromised in a fight, this dovetails with what Bilal Muhammad told us on these very airwaves a couple of weeks ago. A lot of it really is about mental toughness in that situation because Jimmy Rivera, he was buckled, man, at the end of round one. And I thought Louis Gaudineau did a great job keeping him in it. And uh, and Jimmy fought very hard. Ken Flo tweets acknowledging as much over the weekend. Here's a tweet from Sean Shelby, our great matchmaker. Possible calf kick history. Cattell Kubis began teaching it at American Top Team years ago. Wilson Govea was the first to start ripping them in pro fight circa 2010. Benson Henderson and maybe uh, Relic started hitting them soon thereafter. So notice how he qualifies it by saying possible calf kick history yeah. because I'm sure some of our listeners will will find some, some older examples. But uh, what a weapon, man. I feel like I got to know what this feels like a little bit. I don't know if you want to thrust one into my lower leg at like 50%. <laughs> I think the issue is is that – People think I'm going to like tear my ACL, right? Because right. I'm not particularly well built. I am doing some strength and conditioning these days, but they feel like even if you kick me at 50%, if I don't take it the right way, I'm not going to try to check it, Kenny. You know, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I want to feel what it feels like. It's horrible. Here, here's the thing. Again, like <laughs> I said, there, there's there's the different levels of it, right? There's, you know, if I'm if I'm in that low stance and I'm, I'm bearing a lot of weight on that lead leg or evenly in both legs, it's going to hurt way more or i can attempt to check it where i risk getting swept off my feet i will take some damage but i won't take all of the damage right so that's kind of the the medium level and of course the last level of it is just get the hell out of there move your feet get get your feet circle out and shift your stance backwards and don't get hit with that thing because literally one calf kick could change the whole fight It's so crazy. It really is. Now, there is a segment of the fan base, and this was a popular talking point on Twitter after the fact. And I think it's because we brought it up on the broadcast, actually. There's a segment of the fan base that wants these fucking things gone. (laughs) Right. Can you at least, I'm going to ask you this journalistically, can you at least understand where these people are coming from and why they don't want this in MMA? No. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so their reasoning is because yeah. they feel like it is becoming just a huge part of modern day mixed martial arts. And, uh, I guess, I don't know. It's not just like Conor McGregor fans out there that don't like right. it. There are people who are like, this is annoying. I'm sure there's a lot of countries out there that don't want drone strikes, but we're <laughs> going to continue using drone strikes because yeah. We don't care, and it's effective. You know, and that's the thing. It, well, it's so are fo- so are so are kick so a soccer kicks to the head of an opponent <laughs> who's on his back. You're right, you're right. But I'll say this: it's like, hey, the game has changed to the point where, within the rules, within the current rule structure, it's something you can throw. And you know, maybe I'm saying this because I'm not fighting anymore. But no, I I think that it is something that is drastically changing the game, and. Yeah. You'll see a guy like, let's say, a Conor McGregor. A lot of people thought, oh, you know, if this stays on the feet, Conor's going to win. Not if there's cap kicks involved. And and it may upset people. And we may not see guys at 100%. But, you know, it's a part of the body that can be hit. And and I think, you know, I kind of get that reasoning. But 
I, you got to no, keep hey, you got to keep I'm it. Not saying, I'm not saying it's like 50 sure. percent of the fan base. I've just heard right. from a small minority of people repeatedly who are like, man, I'm telling you, it's just sure. like I got to figure out who's going to be able to attack calf kicks. And then I'm going to bet on that guy because that's right. basically the sport that's that you true, guys are man. putting out there right now. And for the record, I am not anti calf kick at all. I, I'm the guy who wants either a 10 minute first round or just a one round fight for 15 minutes. I'm yeah. like Joe Rogan. I don't want referee separations in the clinch. You know, yeah. I want fighters to have to work their way out, you know, so I, I am, I am definitely in support of the calf kick. All right. Plenty more coming up at the end of the show on UFC fight night, Rosenstrike versus gone. We'll talk about Magomed and live and we'll talk about a fight card that was long uh, on decisions, but not without action. First, though, today's main event challenge is brought to you by DraftKings. UFC 259, you may have heard, is this weekend, and it is sure to be action-packed with no fewer than three title fights taking place in one night. I will be in the building, but DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sports betting partner of the UFC, and they're putting you in the center of the action with 100 to 1 odds on this weekend's title fight on either fighter to land a punch during the title fight. you got to listen to this. You pick either main event fighter to land a punch during this weekend's UFC 259 headliner, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds. You bet $1 on either fighter to land a punch, and if that happens, you will cash $100. No better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. And if MMA by chance is not for you, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds, promotions on other sports, basketball, hockey, so much more. But I can assure you as a customer, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. I think I own their stock as well. Uh, But you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience and absolutely with confidence. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code AFPOD when you sign up to turn $1 into $100. If either main event fighter lands a punch on Saturday, place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code AFPOD to turn $1 into $100. If either fighter lands a punch for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Sorry, right, UFC 259, just a few days away. Let us make some picks. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Quick update on the standings. Casey Williams, our famous, fabulous intern, tells me 2-2 last week. Team Florian maintains the overall lead 20-18 as we welcome on the duck Ian Parker on social media. He is at Ian Parker MMA. So, Ian, you don't have a New York accent. Do you think I would alienate the majority of the listenership if I did the entire show today in a Boston accent? Uh, no, I think they love it. My, my New York huh. accent, since I've been in Florida for a while, has slowly gone away. When I first started with the Florida Panthers, people used to not want to talk to me from down here because they didn't like the New York aggressive manner and the speed. So what I've learned is in Florida, you got to slow that shit down yeah. and not and not follow up on sales calls and actually give them like six weeks to make a decision on something. So uh yeah i think they like the boston accent especially coming from you my new york accent though when it when it goes it's it's like a ray long situation but jewish so yeah yeah you do got to slow everything down here in south florida can flow right your expectations when you go to cvs for a pack of gum you just know it's going to take you like 15 20 minutes because uh you know average age like 73 all right so we have got six 
Well, we got 15 fights, but we got six selections for you today here. So let us begin in the Bantamweight division where the former two-division or two-time champion Dominic Cruz is a plus-105 underdog against Casey Kenny. Current form for Casey Kenny, Ian, quite good. He's minus-125 here. Big 2020 for him. Three straight wins, the last of which came in October uh, against the very credentialed Nathaniel Wood. Your thoughts on Cruz here in the role of underdog against Casey Kenny? I like the fact that Dominic Cruz said that the ego doesn't get to him where he's placed on this card, which I, I think we all agree is kind of crazy that he's not on the pay-per-view main card part of it. Um, I think for him right now, this is actually a good matchup for him style-wise. Casey Kennedy gets a little wild, but I think the way Dom bounces in and out and takes his angles, I think he could pick him apart and win this fight. You know, it's just a question of can Casey Kenny really maintain the aggressive pace that he's been doing for three rounds and take it to Dom, not allow him to move around so much? Um, my, my heart wants to go with Dominic Cruz as an underdog. Very, uh, not often we get this opportunity. So I'll hold Dom there. All right. Ian Parker likes Dominic Cruz. And with respect, this whole prelim versus main card storyline, like I, I don't give a shit, right? Like Kenny Florian never fought on a prelim. Okay. That I love. As Ew, the president gross. of team Florian. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Who does that? What's that like? Wow. Normal fighters. <laughs> so wow. I'm going to have a hard time pulling it together here. But as the president of Team Florian, how much do we fucking love that Ken Flo only fought on main cards? No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> no, you got a preliminary final care who it's in here. We're not taking that prelim fight. But in this instance, right, it's like when Dom came back from the long layoff, he was the feature prelim against Takeya Mizugaki. Like, I don't understand why this is some great talking point. You can also argue depending on the pay-per-view buys, that he'll be seen by more people in that slot. So I don't know. A lot of people seem to want to talk about this. I don't. Uh, I'd like to talk about Casey Kenny, Kenny, because I feel like he deserves to be the favorite here, quite frankly, over my guy. Well, listen, Kenny has stayed very active. Um, he's got a lot of different skills that could pose some problems for Dominic Cruz. However, I mean, you don't see Dominic Cruz as an underdog in a situation like this too often. And I agree with Ian here that there is a lot of value for Dominic. And the other thing is you have to assume that Dominic is going to learn a lot from that loss against uh, Henry Cejudo. Um, you know, and I know obviously he was upset about the stoppage, but the approach of Cejudo is a concern. And I know that Casey Kenny is breaking down that fight is going and is going to look to do something similar similar if Dominic Cruz isn't able to adjust to that then we could potentially see another loss now I do think that Dominic is one of the smartest guys in the game I think he will adjust to that I do think he will win this fight um and I think he wins by decision here against a very tough Casey Kenny all right, so both guys like the underdog, Dominic Cruz, at plus 105. We'll see where that fight closes. A lot of people feel like maybe Cruz is going to close as a slight favorite, so potentially some value right now. I will just tell you my feelings on the Cruz fight because uh, I'm, I'm very close to him. He's gotten the rounds in this time around. So not only has he been in hard training for three or four months, but sparring is big for him. You know, in this era where people aren't sparring a lot, Ken Flo, yep. it's still a big part of what Dominic Cruz is doing. He needs to feel those shots and he needs to feel those rounds. He's such a timing-based fighter, right? Where his forework and timing is is crucial to his success. And if he's not getting that in, it will definitely affect his performance. That That's good to hear. And then I'm just 
wanting to see where his speed is at because I do think with his style, the figure eight footwork and everybody, everything else, I think a lot of it, its success is predicated upon being fast of foot. And uh, he's had to deal with a lot of things with his feet and uh, he's yeah. not getting any younger, but I'm excited to see it. I'm anxious for him as a friend. And uh, Casey Kenny, I think, is the real deal. All right. Light heavyweight division. Big night for the 205ers, boys. Alexander Rockich minus 165. Tiago Mahetta Santos plus 145. Ian, we'll start with you here. So Santos, I kind of thought he beat John Jones. Okay. I don't say that too loudly, but I really kind of felt like after those 25 minutes, he had won that fight. So obviously the long layoff thereafter, the return against Glover Teixeira was in November of last year, and it did not go particularly well. Tiago Santos is plus 145 this weekend. Rockich coming off a win. What do you think about this one at light heavyweight? I think we, in all due respect, I think we have to kind of put that on Jones in the past because win or lose, he would have still had the double knee injury and the surgery mm. and all this stuff. Um, you know, and I think with Glover, we, we talked about this, that if that fight went to the floor, he was going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, and, and a long layoff. And I think what we saw to Rakic in his last fight was an improvement big time. And it's now we're starting to see this guy as a true prospect. I think he's dangerous in the striking, the speed. I think also the grounding we should his top control against a guy in Anthony Smith who's excellent off his back. And I think Rakic will have that opportunity to see, you know what? Glover took this guy down. I could take him down, and I don't need to take the damage up top. I like Rakic here, and I'm actually surprised that he's not a bigger favorite in this fight. All right, so Ian Parker pretty bullish on Alexander Rakic. Kemflo, what do you think? You know, for, for Rakic, I think, you know, most of the success of his game is on the feet. And when you have a guy like Thiago Santos with that kind of power, with that kind of speed, that's always going to be dangerous. Um, so I think for Rockich, he's got to take a smart approach on the feet. Yes, I do think he should mix things up with his takedowns and things. Not that he's a specialist on the ground either, but you would have to assume he's going to be better than Tiago Santos down there, who to me showed, you know, not only a vulnerability, but a tremendous weakness. And he, he's he's got to be better on the ground. He's got to be better with his footwork as well because if Rockich is able to get in and get out and stick and move, it, it could be a long night for Thiago Santos. Um, while Santos absolutely has the ability to get a knockout here, I think Rockich gets the win here. Um, I, I would be very surprised if this one goes the distance. And for anyone who's hesitant on picking one or the other, not that I'm a professional gambler here, but I would assume uh, betting the under here uh, would probably be the way to go. I, I'd be surprised if this one goes the distance, to be honest. We could use some finishes, Ken Flo. 15 yeah. fights Ooh. at UFC 259. 10 prelims. I think Kenny was inspired by the Golden Globes last night. I'm now here to present her. He's one bow tie away from being perfect on the show so far. <laughs> Ken Flo's prepared. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Kemflo, I'm going to uh, lead with you on this one then if you're so prepared. Islam Akashev is minus 330. He's taking on Drew Dober here, who is plus 270. Massive fight stakes-wise in the lightweight division. I'm telling you, whoever wins this fight is going to be getting one of those big names next. Makashev, 29 years of age, has not fought since UFC 242 back in 2019. Juxtaposed against Drew Dober, who had a huge 2020. He's knocked three guys out in a row and uh, really coming into his own. Stylistically, this, though, is a challenge that is as hard for, for most of these guys at 55 as any other. Your thoughts on Makashev in that usual prohibitive favorite role here, minus 330, Dober plus 270? Well, you know, Makashev has had a lot of hype uh, around him to the point where I think his manager at one point was offering to pay guys like 100000 to take the fight. I think he was offering Tony Ferguson, you know, I'll give you an additional 100000 if you take this fight, blah, blah, blah. 
So apparently Mahashev has had that issue where not a whole lot of people are stepping up to face him. Why? He's a tremendous wrestler. He's also a very good striker. And in a lot of ways, I'm not going to go as far to say he's a more evolved Habib Nurmagomedov, but with his wrestling background, if you compare both of their striking, um, Habib and uh, Mahashev, Mahashev certainly has the better striking. He moves better um, and just seems more comfortable out there, more defensively sound. And I think for Drew Dober, he's got the right background to pose some problems. He comes from a wrestling background. He's not the easiest guy to take down. Um, he, he's he's stocky. Um, you know, it's going to be tough to get underneath him. He knows how to counter wrestle. He hits hard very uh, as well. And he also um, is a guy that's not going to go away easily. However, I do think Mahashev is the favorite for a reason. I do think he wins this fight. I do think it's going to be a little bit more difficult than uh, than we can predict, though. I, I think Mahashev wins by decision here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I do see some some value here for Dober, but uh, I think Mahashev wins this one. So I've said repeatedly, if you can find a way to beat Islam Mahashev, and like Rafael Dos Anjos was going to do in that main event when those guys were scheduled to fight, you're going to have to beat him as a massive three or four to one underdog, and that's what's in front of Drew Dober. But if you can do it, you are on Habib's radar in a way that uh, that nobody really is, right? I mean, what was it, Adriano Martins? Yeah, he was the guy who knocked out Islam Akasha back at UFC 192. Yeah. It's all in front of Drew Dober this weekend. Ian Parker, your thoughts on Makasha. Any value for you on Dober or are you on the favorite as well? I think Mahashev wins. I agree with every, everything Kenny said. The only thing here is Drew Dober is probably one of the more underrated power strikers in this division. We've seen the power, and we've seen his striking also tighten up. He's also not just brawling. Mahashev in that last fight against Hamos, in my opinion, um, was a little too wild with his striking. He also gets a little too comfortable. He leaves his hands down and leaves that chin up. You know, I think there's value on Dober as an underdog. You know, I, I, I think... These are one of these fights where I don't think Mahachev should be minus 350. The hype is fine, but he hasn't fought anybody ranked top 10 to really tell me like, oh, this guy's minus 350 gets every guy until he gets to the top five. Because in my right. opinion, Do Dober knocked out somebody that was better than every opponent Mahachev has fought to date in, uh, in uh, Kelvin Gaslam, you know, smaller version of him, you know. So I'm going to go Mahachev also on a betting standpoint, though. I don't like it at minus 350. So if you're up going into this fight, I do not blame you for taking a stab at Dober. To Kenny's point, the wrestling defense is there. The wrestling game is there. The cardio is there. And he's got that one-punch knockout that can really change the fight. So that's really the best I can give you. See, it's interesting because Drew Dober's getting more respect from odds makers and, and betters than Rafael Dos Anjos did. So he is getting some respect, but I'm seeing as high as like minus 550 for uh, for Islam Makhachev in, in what was to be a main event against Rafael Dos Anjos. All right. First of three championship fights at UFC 259, Pyotr minus 130, Aljamain Sterling plus 110. We will need the round and the method of victory here. So we did a poll question at Anik Florian Pod, and almost 60% of 4,000 votes or so believe that of the three underdogs this weekend, Ian, and those three underdogs, of course, Aljamain Sterling, Megan Anderson, Jan Bohovic, that Aljo's the guy who is best equipped to break through. And the betting line certainly dovetails with that public opinion or popular opinion. Your thoughts on Jan and Sterling? Who wins? How do they get it done? 
I want to put bias aside here, but I still like Al Jermaine Sterling here. I think his ground game and his cardio and his pace will be the difference. We did, we did see Jan get faster and stronger with the striking against Aldo as the fight went on. So we know his cardio is there. However, in the first two rounds, if you start like that, it's Al Jermaine Sterling. He's going to use those leg kicks. And the dude is also a very solid and a very creative, unpredictable striker. And I think Aljo will get this fight to the ground at some point where he will steal rounds. I don't think Jan's style of striking in rounds three, four, and five is good stylistically against a guy in Aljo who will not just stand in front of you and bang the way out of it. You know, Aldo really just stood there and was saying, I'll take what you can give me as long as I can fire one back and hope to knock you out. Aljo moves around way too much. I think Aljo made Sterling will win here. It's hard to say if he's going to fish only because we haven't seen that happen to Jan yet. Um, I'm going to play safe for the moment, say by decision, but I'm going to reserve the right to change that to a submission later in the week. I'm really hoping our audience isn't hearing all those clicks on your audio. Piotr Jan, 15 and one overall. I love you. Don't look so upset. Seven and zero in the UFC, 28 years of age, father of two young boys, man. I'm, I'm really fascinated by this matchup. Ken Flo. Um, what do you think about Piotr Jan? Because it seems like most of the people that I have talked to granted, you know, Ray Longo is a staple of the show, but, feel like Aljamain Sterling is about as live an underdog as it gets. What are your thoughts on how Jan might might handle this challenge? Listen, Piotr Jan is absolutely capable of winning this fight. He, he's a tremendous striker, and I think he's underrated big time in that aspect. I also think he's got some underrated wrestling as well. He's not an easy guy to take down, and being from where he's from, um, he has a lot of access to some excellent wrestling. So he he's no uh you know foreigner in that regard. I think that he's going to prepare appropriately. If you're going to fight Aljamain Sterling, you have to take away his wrestling skill. If you're able to take away his wrestling, you have a great shot of winning this fight. Now, I think that Jan, from a traditional perspective, is a better striker. He's cleaner. He's he's probably faster with his hands. He he might even hit harder. Um, I think he does. However. Aljo has that unorthodox style. It's a rhythm that is hard to get a handle on. He just moves differently, and it's just awkward to get adjusted to. And I think that favors Aljo and allows Aljo, I think, in theory, to get out to a good start. Um, and I think that Jan, if he wants to win this fight, is going to have to get it done later in the fight. He did show that determination and that conditioning against Jose Aldo. He did get stronger. Aljo is going to come in in tremendous shape as well. And I think Aljo, his main attack has to be with his grappling. He's got to use those unorthodox strikes to enter in, take Jan down. I think he can do that. I am also going to go uh, with Sterling by decision. Is he capable of getting a finish? Yes. If he does, it will be by submission. However, I think he wins this in a 3-2 uh, decision. I think it's going to be a close one. But I like Sterling in here uh, to win and become the new champion. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? All right, co-main event, Ian Parker, Amanda Nunes, minus 1165 against Megan Anderson, who is plus 750. So if you place $100 on Megan Anderson, you get 750, and you get your C-note back, so that gets you to 850. But you'd have to put down almost $1,200 on Amanda Nunes to get $100 back. Now, I think this is a little wide just because of what Megan Anderson brings to the table. She's six feet tall. She only has three inches in reach, not all that pronounced there. But if I was to send somebody in there to beat Amanda Nunes, for starters, I would want someone with a, a great head coach, and I believe James Krause to be that. Ian Parker, your thoughts on Megan Anderson, her chances against the consensus greatest of all time, Amanda Nunes. 
I think James Krause is one of the best coaches out there. There's no question. You're, you're hearing him in between rounds, telling them exactly what they need to hear. Maybe they don't want to hear it, but it's what they need to hear, especially when they're down. He's given the right technique. I think Megan Anderson here needs to use that reach, and that's the only way she wins this fight. You know, we've seen her be put on her back before. I believe it was by Felicia Spencer, and it was a nightmare for her. You know, she's good on top, but again, against Amanda Nunez, you know, Amanda's seen it all. I do think the line is extremely wide. I hate seeing that in general because in MMA with these gloves and anything could possibly happen. I just think Amanda Nunez is too good. I don't think Megan's the one to dethrone her if that's going to even ever happen while Amanda still fights. I think Amanda, though, also understands as she's fighting that um, anyone can knock anybody out. So I think she's going to use that ground game. I think she's going to get that takedown land on top. I think she's going to get this win by submission. I'm going to say round two for Amanda Nunez. Hey, Ken Flo, Megan Anderson has won two straight since that Felicia Spencer fight, which was in May of 2019. <clears throat> so, excuse me, in theory, I mean, she should be in a better place on the ground. What are your thoughts on, on Megan Anderson, Amanda Nunes, and ultimately who gets it done? Yeah, listen, I, I think Megan is going to be a tough out just based on her physicality alone. Amanda Nunes is typically the larger fighter out there. She has not faced... In, in my memory, anyway, anyone who has been as big as someone like Megan Anderson. So that alone is going to be different for her. She's going to have to find a way to be sneaky and get on the inside without taking a big shot, especially in the form of those long legs. Uh, you know, a kick upstairs uh, could definitely get it done for Anderson. So Nunes has to be very sharp in this fight. And I think she she learned her lesson uh, against Durandamy, uh, of not underestimating uh, an opponent and expecting it to go the full full five rounds, even though seemingly you have an advantage on the ground. So I agree with Ian. She's got to take this fight to the ground, though. This is where she has the largest advantage. If she wants the easiest path to victory, this is where she needs to do, uh, bring the fight. And I think she'll be able to do it, maybe not early, but maybe in around the third or fourth round, she'll be able to tire Megan out enough where she can go out there and, and get a submission or TKO win. Um, let's go with the champ, Amanda Nunes. You, you got to assume she's still hungry and still looking, um, you know, with passion to defend that belt. So I think Nunes, let's go round three, um, TKO. And a lot of Amanda Nunez's coaches just talk about the coachability and her ability to not only grasp what they are teaching, but the execution in this chaotic environment. She it just has a way. She's just the total package. One of the best fighters, man or, man or woman, that I, that I have ever seen. Speaking of which, Israel Adesanya, minus 250 versus Jan Bohovic, plus 210. Ian will need the round of the method of victory, of course. So this is a super fight champion versus champion Adesanya moving up first title defense for Jan Bohovic. And I said publicly that I felt like there was a lot of value on Jan Bohovic going into the Dominic Reyes fight. I feel like when you can get a guy who's 20 and 0 at minus 250 in almost whatever setting against almost any opponent that there's value. So I will kick it off there and say, I think there's some value on Adesanya in that minus 250 range. Ian Parker, who do you like? I agree. And uh, I'm starting to learn not to mess with John when it comes to the main events. Uh, you just seem to hit them better than Kenny and I do. But also, if you lose, no one cares. Everyone likes you a lot more, too. So that's not fair. But oh, I don't uh, know about that. I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, you get the you get a goat. I get a I get a duck, you know, goat, <laughs> hey. you know, so, you know, right. 
being called the goat, there's a, it's a cool acronym. There's no acronym for the duck, and I hope there is not one because there's I, an emoji though, and yeah, t-shirts. I do, I do have my own emoji. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm gonna take credit for that one. But uh, look, Israel Adesanya minus two fifty. I do think there is value there. I think this fight may go a little bit like the Paulo Costa fight. I, I, Jan doesn't move around a ton. More of a power guy. I just think Israel is gonna be in and out. I think that last fight, the confidence through the roof. You know, the calf kicks the. The jab, that left hook, just everything was so on point. He just keeps getting better and better. And unless Jan Blahovich can get this fight to the ground and, and do what we haven't really seen and put Israel on his back, maybe for the first two rounds, tire him out, make him defend, I just think Adesanya gets this done. I'm even going to say a round three TKO for Israel Adesanya here. I mean, if you've ever placed a straight wager money line on Kamara Usman or Israel Adesanya, you've hit it every time. Ken Flo, Adesanya, Blahovich, your thoughts on the main event at UFC 259. Yeah, you know, Bohovich, I think, is a larger guy that is dangerous if he hits you. I, I do think he'll have an advantage on the ground if he's able to take it there. But I see a big advantage here for Adesanya. I think he's going to be way too fast, way too skilled, way too defensively sound. He doesn't get hit, really. You know, I, I mean, we, we saw it against Kelvin Gaslam where he started trading a little bit, but I think this is an Adesanya that is extremely intelligent and he knows what he's doing out there. He has a game plan and he's got a game, a backup game plan. If he needs to, he comes from a very smart team. I, I think that he has a huge advantage on the feet. And I think for Bohovic to take to the ground, he's going to have to do, you know, something special. I think Adesanya understands the distance game better than anybody out there. He's one of the premier strikers in the game bar none. I think he wins this, and I think he wins this pretty early. I'm going to go with round two. I think he allows Bohovic to run into a strike, and I think he gets a knockout in round two. Adesanya by round two knockout or TKO is the selection for Kenflo. Ian, I don't know how with two children and waking up as early as you do, how you stay awake for these, these West Coast pay-per-views. I really don't. Because I love this sport, bro. This is, uh, this, this is my thing. MMA is my passion. I bleed it, breathe it, sleep it. I just don't get paid for it. But other than that, you know, it's it's awesome. You know, no, you know what? I, I look at it as uh, it's my time to relax and uh, I just love the fight. So I'm able to just push through and drink coffee at midnight. There you go. Ken Flo, any trouble staying up for these East Coast fights? I know the main cards for the fight nights are happening earlier. At least for me, though, when I'm not calling fights, it is an absolute battle. I suppose if I pounded caffeine at eight or nine, I could power yeah. through, but it's a battle. I'm old, bro. I'm 44. I like I my preparation for these fights involves a nap at some point. Otherwise, gotta do it. I'm gonna be doing the, the head nod and yeah. yeah. So when I tweet, it's probably just so I can stay awake, right? So I don't. Yeah. Know. Some physician told me on social media that uh, if I can't nap, it's because I'm not trying hard enough. So uh, that's <laughs> a new 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 resolution for me here in 2021. I got to figure out a way to take a nap. All right. If you would like more Ian Parker in your life, I don't know if people would, but if you would. I'm going to tell you where to go. Well, hey, man, it's not like everybody wants a bunch more of me necessarily. But if you would like more Ian Parker in your life, if you're one of those people, uh, it's at Ian Parker MMA. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, John. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't like the outro today. Terrible. Terrible. Why? If if you're one of those people, it's like if you're really that one person that wants to go and check it out. 
if you're that one person, you know, I got Kenny warming up to, you know, it's funny. I get Kenny, I'm pulling Kenny in. And I feel like you're slowly <laughs> fading backwards. Did you, unfollow, <laughs> did you unfollow Kenny on Instagram? No. <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, hey, take care of yourself. Quiet those birds down. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Part Ian Parker with us here for the main event challenge. All right. We are not yet done previewing UFC 259. Let's get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Pick to Click presented by Odd Shark. Odd Shark, your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to Odd Shark and start playing like a shark today. That's oddshark.com. Don't forget the second S. All right, now with us in his customary pay-per-view week slot, of course, sports betting analyst from oddshark.com, Joe Osborne on social media, JTFOZ on Twitter, on Instagram, paper chaser, Joe, always. I mean, you're like my fucking coffee on Instagram. I mean, all I have to do is watch the first 10 seconds, even if I'm not following your picks, you just get me going like few others. Hey, my twin brother tells me you're on some torrid stretch in the NBA with these New York Knicks first half unders and some crazy one came in for you the other day. Is that the truth? Yeah, we're on a grind here, uh, you know, and on a bit of a heater with the New York Knicks first half. There's some really good spots in the NBA if you know where to find them. So they've covered the first half spread in 13 straight games. So Saturday night, they're getting their ass absolutely handed to them at home to the Pacers. And it looks like the streak's going to come to an end. They go on a 23-5 to run to close up the half. That's not it, though. Derrick Rose, he steals the ball. He hits a buzzer beater. To seal the cover, and man, that's the most electric bet I'll win all season in wow. the NBA. So just absolutely that? bananas. It's one of those ones you're in the living room by yourself, and you jump off the couch, right? Just yeah. because totally unexpected. I was going to change the channel, but I was like, I'll see it through. Right. And, uh, you know, wow. they just went nuts and covered. And it was I'm absolutely the guy bananas. Who- and that's... I'm the guy who probably had, like, the ripped-up ticket trying to, like, tape it back together at that point, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, NBA, we're, we're on that grind, right? It's a, it's much different post football world when NFL is here. We're kind of, it's the same thing every week. You know, you start your research on the Monday, you do your interviews, you do your picks, you do your writing, you do all your social media stuff. Then you watch a play out on the weekend then you do it all over again for 20 weeks. Right. But uh, we're on the NBA right now. we got March Madness coming up. we got major league baseball coming up. I need it. But first, we got UFC 259, and no exaggeration, guys. From top to bottom, on paper, this oh. card has the potential to be a top 10 UFC event of all time. Absolutely wow. banana. So I the, love it. the prelims on this one would make for a pretty decent fight night card. I it's, must the say. Truth. So, it's the truth. It's a couple main event level prelims. You're absolutely right. I want to start with the fight that I think seems to be most compelling from a betting perspective of the three title fights. And maybe I'm wrong on that. But Aljamain Sterling in most places is a slight underdog right now. Piotr Jan minus 130 or so. Maybe you can get Aljo plus 110 or so. And most of the experts and fighters that I talk to, like Aljamain Sterling, stylistically love the matchup for him. And even though I have found some pro fighters, Joe, who are picking Piotr Jan, they're not nearly as bullish as the people on the Sterling side. So what are your thoughts on this fight, and and will you have a wager? 
Well, I seem to be against the consensus uh, of the people that you know anyway. So I bought Piotr Jan's stock a long time ago, and I'm not selling anytime <laughs> soon, guys. So uh, very interesting situation here for uh, Sterling. He's coming off a perfect fight, perhaps the best performance of his career. And it's even more impressive uh, to see what Corey Sandhagen has done since that fight, right? So as a result of that, Maybe a little bit of recency bias. Maybe some people do expect a similar result in a wrestler slash grappler versus a primary striker type of a fight. But if you pull back here and you take a look at the bigger sample size, I was kind of surprised to see this. Sterling averages just 1.89 takedowns per 15 minutes in the cage. A 29% takedown accuracy. I was very surprised to see this. UFCstats.com, where I do a lot of my research. So very surprised to see that. So on the other side, we have the champ, Piotr Jan. He has an 88% takedown defense. And there's not a whole lot. There's no evidence that he can be dominated in the wrestling slash grappling aspect of the fight. I did think he did defend the takedown very well in the Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo fight who did shoot on him a couple times and he right. had no success there. So that said, I d do think Jan has a clear striking advantage definitely in his hands. He's got to avoid those kicks though because that, that's what got Sandhagen in trouble. That's what ended up leading to uh, uh, Sterling being able to drag him to the mat. He kind of half caught his kick and got him to the mat and we know what happened right. there. So uh, I think it's going to be a close fight and, and Jan did open at uh, minus 145, and now this one's coming down a bit. There seems to be money coming in on Sterling, but I'm going to stick with the champion to retain here a close fight in what could be the, the fight of the night. Yeah, Joe, I think it's going to be a close fight as well, but uh, can't wait to see it, man. Um, you know, Nunes is a huge favorite in this one against mm -hmm. Megan Anderson. How do you see this one? Where's the value? Well, that's the question, right? Nunez is my pick here, but, uh, you know, you need to find some value because minus 1,200, that's a non-starter. And she is my pick, you know. Uh, I don't see myself picking against her anytime soon, especially in this fight. Anderson, just too inconsistent, really, and I don't think that she does have the skill set to take down uh, the GOAT of women's MMA. So... Where do we find some value? And I do think we find some value with the over one and a half rounds. That's coming in at a very reasonable price of minus 115. So Nunez, she's an all or nothing fighter in terms of the length of her fights, meaning they usually end very quickly or they go to decision. So check this out. Her last 11 fights, she ended six of them in the first round. Four of them went to decision and one ended in the fifth round. That was the TKO over... Raquel Pennington, the more recent trend has seen four of her last six fights go into the fifth round. So stylistically, Megan Anderson, I do think she does present a bit of an interesting challenge, uh, most notably because of her size and because I don't think that she's going to engage at the same level like a Holly Holm or Chris Cyborg did. We saw what happened to them when they engaged with Amanda Nunes. It was uh, lights out fairly early into the fight. And also, Anderson, not an incredibly active striker. And I do think it might take Nunez a little bit of time to find her range here. So I do like the over one and a half rounds in, uh, in that fight. I think that's where you do find your best value. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I love that, Ken Flo, right? 
that over seven and a half minutes. I mean, I know you pick. I think Kenny picked Amanda Nunes in round three, but uh, that oh, that seems pretty pretty enticing. I would think. Uh, I think Megan Anderson certainly can extend her into round two, and uh, I'm not sure Amanda Nunes, with her sort of force of mistake mentality at times, uh, is trying to dust her inside of five minutes. We'll see. All right, main event: Jan Bohovic yes. versus Israel Adesanya. Seems like at least on this show, the consensus is that Adesanya is valuable uh, my, below minus 300. He's 20 and 0. If you bet on him 20 times, you're 20 and 0. Um, mm-hmm. But again, he is the one moving up here, and there's a lot to like when it comes to the Bohovich side. Are you on a particular fighter or round prop? How do you see the main event playing out, my man? Well, my best bet's going to be a prop, and I'll tell you why. It's because I think that the odds for this, I think that the fight is much closer than the odds do indicate, and I'm okay. a bit conflicted with who to pick. So in one corner, we have quite possibly the ascension of maybe an all-time great. That's a path that this is looking like for Adesanya. But in the other corner, we have one of the most chronically underrated and maybe the most undervalued fighter from a betting perspective ever in UFC history. And let me tell you why. So check this out. We know that Blahovich is on this run, right? He's won eight of his last nine fights. He closed as an underdog in eight of those fights, guys. I had no idea. He closed as an underdog in eight of those fights. So he's just chronically undervalued. Everyone, we always overlook this guy. You take a look at the striking differential, the significant striking differential during this run he's on. Some of these fights... It's not even close. So I do think that there is a little bit of value on him. You know, we have seen guys go up and wait before, and we've seen it backfire from time to time. You know, Max Holloway didn't look so good when he moved up to 155 to fight uh, Dustin Poirier. Of course, we know the Conor McGregor and ATS stuff. But, uh, you know, Adesanya probably wins. I do think there is some value in Blahovich, But as they say in betting, there's no value in betting on a loser. So not a whole lot of interest in taking a side here. But... I do like the over one over, sorry, two and a half rounds, and that's coming in at minus 140. So I do think we have the potential for a bit of a long feeling out process here. Reason being, both guys great counter strikers, so expect maybe a little bit of patience here. Adesanya, I, I likely don't see him in a rush to uh, blast off right off the bat, you know, a couple different reasons. He's making his debut at the bigger weight class and even his most recent fight versus Costa, which he did end in the second round. But, you know, he was fine to chip away at leg kicks for the start of that fight. And then you take a look at the champ. It it would be a god-awful strategy if he just runs out here in the first round and starts throwing bombs, you know what I mean? So I don't think that's – he's probably – he's smart enough guy. He's going to watch the tape and he's going to know what's going to happen. If he's going to just be in there uh, throwing bombs and blasting off right off the bat. Plus, outside of the Calvin Gastelum fight, Adesanya doesn't really get hit a whole lot, does he? So uh, I think he would be a hard guy to finish inside of the two and a half rounds. And I do think we're going to see some patience from Adesanya. And Bohovich, he's a hard guy to put away as well. And you take a look at Adesanya over the course of his UFC career. He's gone to decision more than half of his fights. Average fight time at 15 minutes and seven seconds. So I think we're in for a little bit of a longer fight there. So I like the over two and a half rounds. And I love the analysis. It's like when you're playing unders in football, it's kind of hard as a fan because you got to root against points. So everybody's doing well and you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, you're rooting for a boring, slow game. So I do think it's hard sometimes playing the over, Joe, because 
you're sitting around rooting for just, you know, guys to stall and run clock. It makes it for a hard view, but I understand why you see the value there. Yeah, you want to see them pushing each up against the cage, you know, not right, a whole right. lot of action. Right. Everyone else is throwing their hands up in the air complaining, this fight's boring, but that's exactly what I want from a betting perspective. Right, you know, right. they can turn up the pace in the second half of the fight, but, yeah. uh, you know, let's keep it slow. Let's be nice and patient here the first half of the fight, guys. All right, well, you can get more from Joe on social media. Paper Chaser Joe, JTFOZ is the Twitter handle. His show, Guys and Bets, at oddshark.com. Great to see you, my man. You always brighten up my pay-per-view week and a good way to get us started here for UFC 259. And uh, this is a two-pay-per-view month, so we will talk to you uh, in about three weeks. Awesome, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Good luck to you and good luck to all the listeners out there. Thank you, buddy. There he is, Joe Osborne, with us for the pick to click today. And it's always an interesting perspective to get, especially, I thought, when it comes to the Piotr Jan stuff, right? Because if you are judging based upon the film that is out there, uh, this is not a guy who has been challenged in that capacity a whole lot but when he has been he has held up and i do think that numbers are interesting right like i go both ways on him but when you talk about aljamain sterling's takedown accuracy i immediately want to see how many attempts he had against each guy and what were the circumstances surrounding it because that is a valuable number to hear right for me especially at the beginning of fight week i'm thinking that's something i want to sort of follow up on a little bit you know Absolutely. I mean, Jan is no joke. And, and and listen, he's still a new champion. There's still a lot that we don't know about him. Um, and I think we're going to find out exactly uh, what kind of fighter this guy is when he faces a very tough out in, in Sterling. All right. I want to get to a few other things on UFC fight night from last weekend before we uh, effort to wake up Ray Longo. So putting a bow on Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Pedro Munoz has never been finished in almost 30 pro fights, Kenny, despite a style that puts him in harm's way repeatedly. And I sort of, I didn't quote this to you when I talked to him, but I did say that after the Frankie Edgar fight, there were people out there who maybe questioned your approach and the hit ability, even though you're the forward moving guy who's forcing the issue. And it was a very close fight, but you know, his style really is, to move forward and he does enjoy entertaining. And I think when you can produce like this and, and clearly win a fight uh, and still win a fight of the night bonus, I just think that for a guy who's had some uh, difficult obstacles to overcome in terms of his championship trajectory in the UFC, I think this win has to be very validating for him. I think in terms of, of his style and that even though he takes some damage, uh, he can still be champion with the style in my humble opinion. No question. Listen, I, th- I think he has found success. Um, you know, I, I think we could point to guys like, uh, you know, Tony Ferguson and other guys who had that success as well. And is it long term? I, I don't think it is, to, to be honest, um, because you have a good chin until one day you don't. And I think that that's if you're looking to be in this game for a long, long time. Um, I, I don't know if it's the best approach, but you can't question the results and what he's had in, in, in the short term anyway. And um, he's looking fantastic and is improving his offense as well. So that's exactly what you like to see if you have that style. He's always been an interesting fighter for me because of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu credentials, right? I mean, nobody really wants to mess with him on the ground. He's got that absolutely killer guillotine. But yeah, I mean, Aljamain Sterling didn't fight his fight and Frankie Edgar was able to laterally move and land and stick and move and all that. But uh, I don't know. I just really like both of those guys. I feel like this is like my favorite division right now. I just, when you look at that top, top 15, 135 pounds is absolutely awesome. And light heavyweight is pretty intriguing as well. We talk about a big weekend forthcoming here at UFC 259, but want to get your thoughts on the co-headliner from last weekend, Magomed Ankalaev over Nikita Krilov. 
Unanimous decision, 29-28 times three. No finish this time for Magomed Ankalaya, but it's going to be in the top seven or eight and uh, increasingly a guy to keep an eye on, I would think, for you at 205. Yeah, listen, I'll say this. I, I think that perhaps his stock dropped a little bit. Um, but I also think that Krilov showed that he is a much improved striker. Um, he looked great in that first round. I thought he did a great job of pressuring Uncle Iev, landing some good strikes that I don't think Uncle Iev uh, saw coming. Um, and he was giving him a little bit of trouble there uh, with the takedowns early on. Once Uncle Iev kind of understood what he was trying to do, he seemed to settle down and started utilizing his own takedowns. Uh, to win the fight. I thought it was a great way to adapt during the fight. I just thought that Ankalaev would have been a far superior striker to Krilov, and that just wasn't the case. And it's both because I think Ankalaev, or I may have overrated Ankalaev to a certain extent and underrated Krilov as a striker as well. Yeah. So I think Krilov is tougher than we thought. Uh, I guess I'll speak for myself. I thought uh, and Uncle Iev maybe, you know, still has some work to do, but uh, still an excellent win and a guy to watch in that division, no question. I really enjoyed the women's flyweight affair on the main card between Montana De La Rosa and Maida Bueno Silva. Went to a majority draw. Nice to see that point deduction in round one. You absolutely have to take yes. a point away. Uh, anything for me on Alex Caceres? Big picture, right? Four-fight winning streak. Now, he doesn't remember this conversation that I had with him, okay? I, I can be pretty forgettable. I understand. But we were in Manila. It was me, him, and Brian Stan at a bar. He gets knocked out by Francisco Rivera in like 21 seconds. This is Manila 2015. So he's lost three in a row, the last of which was a 21-second knockout. He thinks he's done. He thinks he's cut mm. like it's over. So he's he has eight UFC wins since that night, including four in a row. And uh, just really happy for a guy who, who made his debut on season 12 of The Ultimate Fighter at the finale. And uh, it, it's just hard to sustain and be as – as active 24 UFC appearances over 10 years or so. I just, I feel pretty good for this kid, man, because he's stuck to his guns. He's done it his way. And he's coming up on 30 UFC fights here in a couple of years. Listen, composure and experience was uh, the real determining factor in his win uh, this weekend. Um, his opponent was panicking, was uh, just, just seemed like he was, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like it was his UFC debut, even though it wasn't. It, again, still early on in his career. Right. But it was a um, a panicked effort more than anything else. It's one thing to be aggressive and to put pressure on your opponent. But when you are kind of doing it out of desperation, I don't think that's ever a good thing. Your emotions are going to get into it. You're going to get more tired. And it was the more composed Caceres that that got it done out there. So that, it was good to see. I think Caceres was was more technical, was landing some great shots on the feet, was picking his shots, hitting some nice counters, uh, and he deserved to get that win. Yeah, I think you're right about all of that stuff. Kevin Kroom, who trains at Glory MMA Fitness in Kansas City, Missouri, he says, you know, I'm skilled, but I'm scattered. And I still think he's just mm. having a hard time you know, executing his all around MMA game, despite a wealth of amateur experience and, you know, fought Justin Gaethje in his seventh pro fight, supposedly 20, and know, as an amateur, but it just, it wasn't clicking for him. And, and Caceres yeah. didn't make things any easier. He's an awkward guy to fight. All right. Last thing, Tiago Moises over Alexander Hernandez in the featured prelim at lightweight. And, and I consider both of these guys, friends, Alexander Hernandez was not thrilled with the commentary and believes if you turn it off that, uh, that you'll hear, or you won't hear, you'll see pretty clearly that he won the fight. I thought it was a pretty clear two, one for Tiago Moises. For me, two of the three judges had it 30, 27 for Moises. I thought it was the best performance in the Brazilians career, but Hernandez clearly thought he won. How'd you see it? 
does he think the commentary influenced the judges or well, right, they I'm can't hear us? Right. I don't yeah. know. Well, maybe, I, I don't understand how that well, works. Well, I think maybe he heard on social media that people felt like right. he didn't win the fight. Yeah, and so maybe he feels like we're pushing a narrative and fueling the public perception by our call to fight. I don't yeah, know. I, I should say this. I, I think he should, he should, you know, turn the volume off and watch the fight. And I think he'll find that he actually lost the fight. I, I think if, if you're looking with unbiased eyes, I, I think that he he certainly lost the fight. I don't think he made a lot of great choices out there. Two things happened in this fight, or two things happened um, since the last time both of these guys had their respective fights, and it's that Moises has improved as a striker. Hernandez has gotten worse, and, and I hate to say that about a fighter, but I don't know exactly what he was trying to do. He throws himself right into the line of fire. He was squaring his body off against Moises, who was uh, landing a lot of shots, and Hernandez, you know, the shots that he was landing, I don't think were as effective as Moises. I, I don't think that Hernandez had a very uh, good plan against someone like Moises. Um, again, talk about scattered. I, I thought that was very disorganized. Mm -hmm. um, it was very uh, sporadic in, in what he was trying to do. Um, it looked like he was kind of shadow boxing from the outside, trying to gauge his distance and just wasn't able to really get it done. I thought Moises was more versatile and more effective. I agree with with all of what you say, and again, you're able to just see things with a depth that uh, not a lot of people are able to see out there, but I really do wonder if he is able to sort of watch this again and be a little bit more critical of himself and, and willing to be uh, that maybe he won't think that this was such a dominant effort because I think the scary thing for him going forward, the potential's off the charts. I mean, he is a five-tool yeah. guy for me, can do a little bit of everything. And if he thinks this was a step in the right direction, you know, I think that could potentially be problematic. Absolutely. And and again, I'll, I'll end with this. I think his footwork is just um, is really flawed out there. And he, he's got to improve that aspect because that's why he's taking the damage and why he is confused on why he can't land the shots that he wants. So if he's able to improve that, he can come back. But I think he's taking a step in the wrong direction. And Moises is taking a step in the right direction. Yeah. No, Moises really should be the headline and uh, really excited to see him get another big fight at 55. Moises probably going to get a rank guy at this point. Uh, congrats to the veteran. And Alexis Davis, what else can you say about her commitment to this sport 14 years after she made her pro debut? She's dealt with a lot of adversity personally, professionally. Sabina Mazo is a hell of a fighter, but I do think the flyweight division fits her a little bit better. Davis, just supremely well coached. We congratulate her. And of course, Ronnie DeHeat Lawrence, the only finish of the night over Vince Cachero. So congrats to uh, Sanford MMA and, and of course, ATT Sunrise, Roger Crawl, the whole team, Ronnie Lawrence with a big win and performance bonus in his UFC debut. All right. We don't always bury the lead and bury the star of the show, but that is our reality this week. Ray Longo got a haircut. Let us get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And the great Raymond Peter fucking Longo joins us live from Las Vegas. He's at Aljamain Sterling's house right now. It is a championship fight week for Aljamain Sterling, his first in the UFC. It is a title fight week for Team Sarah Longo for the first time since December of 2015 when Chris Weidman fought Luke Rockhold. Raymond, let's go. I mean, what are you feeling right now? Where is your heart rate? Talk to me. Uh, I tell you, my heart rate was good until you started talking about it. Then it kind of uh -huh. went up a little bit. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting, man. He looks like he's in a great spot. 
He's got half the team out here, you know, so uh, it's, it, he's, he looked great today. Great practice today. Great practice the other day. Just he's looking good. So very, very positive. It looks like his head's in the right spot. But, like, again, more importantly, this guy is domesticated. I am in shock what I'm seeing over here. <laughs> yeah. the, guy was, the guy was hanging curtains yesterday. Wow. And on that clickety, that clickety clack you hear is actually the number one UFC bantamweight contender doing dishes right behind <laughs> oh, Let me tell you something. He's running this place with an iron hand. <laughs> so, uh, Planet Hollywood hat is covering up the fact that after over a year without so much as washing nor cutting your hair, you decided to uh, to go with the cabbage. Can you take your hat off for a second? Wow. What? Wow. Look at that. Why would you be covering that up, Ray? Why? Uh, it's getting bad, Ken Flo. It's getting bad in the trenches. <laughs> uh, keeping right, the girls put, away. That's why he wears the hat. Yeah. Can you put the hat back on now? Actually? I, I, I should put the hat back on. <laughs> so uh, I know Ken Flo has some things he wants to ask you about, yeah. Aljamain Sterling. But before we get there, we'll see the extent to which it's hard hitting from Ken Flo today. He's not trying to hit you too hard. No, but I been... want to get your thoughts on the main event that we just saw between Cyril Gunn and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Because if the goal is to go in there and dominate and to progress your career forward, uh, you know, in a lot of respects, mission accomplished for Cyril, Cyril Gunn, but he was uh, criticized despite a dominant win. What were your thoughts on that heavyweight main event a week ago? Yeah, you know, look, every so often that shit happens, right? I mean, we saw it with the Beast and uh, Ngano, and I think this was better because. <laughs> Cyril Gan was offsetting him. You know, he was leg kicking him. He was, he had a great jab. Uh, you know, so I guess he felt he was just doing enough to win. That's what he decided to do. And uh, I, he kind of made it look easy against a, a heavy handed, you know, Rosen strike. Yeah. You know, so, but, you know, like we were just talking about this too. It's easy to say go forward, go forward. But when something's always interrupting that movement, it, it just, Five minutes seems to go by quick, man. And then you're into round four and you have no rhythm. This guy's still pot shotting you from the outside. Yeah. Just it had to be a frustrating fight, you know, for uh for Rosenstrike. I mean, am I pronouncing his name right? Because I Yeah, I'm, no, you're pronouncing you know. his name right. I mean, I don't yeah. know what the goddamn racket is behind you, but I'm gonna let it slide because it's a championship fight week. But you're right, it didn't feel like an inherently slow fight, even though there was a lot of inactivity. I it yeah. didn't feel like a a slow fight calling it, uh, even though I've certainly called better main events. I know the fight you really want to talk about, though, is Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Uh, a couple of guys that Aljo got the better of, by the way. Your thoughts on the fight of the night? I mean, look at that fight. Those guys went after it, right? That's what they wanted to see out of the heavyweights. And uh, I think, like, again, that's what I love about this fight for Aljo. I think he's just right at the right place at the right time. He beat some really good guys. And you could see, even with... Uh, you know, Pedro Munoz and Rivera, both very talented strikers, can take a punch, can give a punch. They couldn't get near Aljo. And that's yeah. the difference in this fight. He's not going to stand in front of you and just bang me. He's very intelligent. Plus, he's got the wrestling. You get in a scramble. He latches onto your back or your neck. You're screwed. So he's got, you know, more ways to win, I believe, than, um, than Jan. And I think that fight, watching those two guys go out, is a great example of what Aljo brings to the table. You know, you can't hurt, right. you can't hit. And his movement is phenomenal. And if he keeps that up and does more than Jan, he wins, he'll he'll run away with that fight. 
Kenny, I know we had Joe Osborne on the show, and he talked a little bit about Piotr Jan and some of the numbers defensively. But I think most people would agree that not only is this an entirely different challenge than Jan has experienced previously, but uh, aren't a lot of points of comparison when you look at his resume in terms of the combination of the frame, the footwork, the grappling, the chokes. Just not much out there in terms of experience that is similar to this type of opposition. Yeah, Ray, would you say that it's a more difficult fight to prepare for for Jan than it is for Aljo? Like, you know what I mean? In that there's a lot of guys similar to, to Piotr Jan, but not a whole lot of guys that are similar to Aljo. And I think that's the story. That's the that's the storyline of this fight. Look, you just saw, like, again, Pedro, I mean, uh, Rivera and Jan, Rivera was doing great in that fight. He got right. caught at the end of the rounds. You know what I mean? And again, I just like again. That's what I like. He Aljo beat two really good strikers, and you could compare those guys kind of to Jan, right? He's a striker. He comes forward, and uh, I don't think Jan's faced anybody, you know, near what this guy brings. I don't say I really don't mean anybody. Guy, look, he's kick oriented, right? A lot of times he uses his kicks to set up his punches. He could throw fifty kicks around. That's not easy to deal with, no matter what. His movement is great. Again, you know, if he latches on to you, and you know how that goes, Kenny, and, you know, you could be the toughest guy around, but when you don't get the blood in the air to your brain, you're, you're going out. So yeah. he's got that in his back pocket. I think that that's going to make Jan think a little bit. And if he gets over careless, he'll get put down, and I think that'll be a long night for him. So I, I love the matchup because I think Aljo, like that's what I was saying, his growth up until this point kind of leads him perfectly to this fight. What do you think your emotions are going to be like if Aljo breaks through? Um, well, obviously, I'm going to be super happy. I'm, I'm happy just that he's fighting for a title, though, man. I love the way this kid's grown. I mean, even the fact, look at it, he's got a beautiful house. He's got a house on Long Island. There's, there's, no, there's no downside to this fight when yeah. he moves. There really isn't. He's, he's progressing as a, as a person better than I've seen probably anybody progress. I just... You know, love watching him even walk around the house. And, you know, he's uh, he's a patriarch, you know, to these guys, too. So uh, super excited. But I'm just super excited. He's finally getting the opportunity that he he worked for and deserved. And that's really all you could ask for, you know. And if he comes in, you know, like we know he can on that night, he walks away with the belt. So there are 15 of you. Go ahead, Ken Flossie. There are 15 of them under the roof right now at, uh, at wow. the Sterling Mansion. There's a... I tell you, you know, I thought it was weird when I did the show with Matt and I was 50 and I was rooming with Drago. This is to another level. Now I'm 60. Now I'm over 60. And I got, the age went down another 10 years. This is not, this is not pretty. I feel bad. They got to put up with me. That's funny. I was just about to ask, Ray, you know, you've, you've been lucky in that. You've had some awesome guys come through your gym and you've been in, you know, some historic fights uh, over the course of your career. It's a testament to you as a coach and a testament to the guys in your area. How is this championship fight different than the other ones that you've experienced? No, I mean, look, they're all, they're all the same. My, my thing is I just love to be a part of watching these guys, you know, complete their dreams. And, you know, if I'm any part of that and I'm, I'm really happy. So, you know, like, again, it's a, I, I, it's not really different. You know, like everybody says, which fight was, would you feel better in? No, it's, 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 you know, it's like you have kids, right? You can't be happy for one kid, not happy for another kid. Oh, so, I can. 
Oh no, you can't. <laughs> but trust me, I, could. I couldn't as a father. Those girls yeah. were all over me. Right. So, uh, but you know, so it's uh, it's it's great, man. It's uh, it's just a great feeling being here again, and like again, knowing that you know we're all part of a small gym. And like, again, the camaraderie with these guys is crazy. He's got 10 guys from the gym living in his house. So everybody made the sacrifice to come out to really watch Aljo accomplish, you know, his dream. And then, you know, and Aljo does a great job when he's back home teaching and cornering people. So he always gives back. And uh, I think these guys really appreciate and I think Aljo appreciates and I think that's part of his motivation, you know, is really performing for these guys that have helped him out. No, he is a loyalist. There's no doubt about it. And there are a lot of guys, lesser known guys that have been right-hand men for him with him every step of the way. Yeah. And those guys are going to get some shine this weekend. But when you say it's not different, right? The COVID-19 climate is such that this is an entirely yeah. different. I mean, you still have to pass three COVID tests to be in the goddamn corner. Okay. So let's start there. Right. I mean, well, well, first there's of a lot. But I had COVID. So I don't even think I have to take the test. I took the test at home. And they said, I, I, I'm sure it's going to come back positive because I, I had it a month ago. What, uh, eight right. weeks ago? Right. Well, great. I don't know, maybe. But you're right. right. The COVID thing, you know what it is, John? At this point, it, the COVID thing is almost normal. I, it, but it's definitely had obstructions to it. Uh, you know, you got to take the training when you can. We had, you know, just... That whole, this whole thing is crazy. It's crazy. I don't, I don't even know where to go with it. Well, but I was, I was going to say though, in addition to the COVID tests right here, you have Aljamain Sterling making his first championship walk in the UFC and look how well he handled that apex environment against Corey Sandhagen. But again, like I think back to Kenny's career, like imagine if his first title fight or let's not say the Sean Shirk fight, but imagine if he's fighting BJ Penn in the middle of a global pandemic, right? And there are no fans. I actually think it stands to reason that that, can very much help an athlete who's in that championship setting for the first time. I hope Aljo's not hearing my every word right now, but I'm telling no, no, you, like, I'm looking around, but he's not here. I really do believe that when you're fighting for a UFC title for the first time, even if you're calm, cool, and collected, and you have great mental resolve, like all of a sudden the feature pops and you're walking out for your first UFC title fight, and it's just different. Instead, it feels like Ring of Combat. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well. You want to make it feel like the ring of combat. You know exactly. I mean? it's you, perfect. Want to, you want to do that. And I, I honestly think he looked at the, the Sandhagen fight as the real winner of the title. You know, so I think mentally he's kind of already put himself there because, look, there's a lot of people think that was the title fight. You know, Sandhagen, they both earned their right up there. Jose Aldo, as much as everybody loves him, didn't earn that right for that title. He coming off a loss. So, I mean, if you look at it, like even logically, it was it was Sandhagen against Aljo for the bantamweight title. Yeah. All right. Two things before we let you go. Did Let's you see go. the lightweight fight last weekend between Alexander Hernandez and Tiago Moises? Yes. So Factory X has a ton of up and coming contenders in a bunch of different weight classes. I think highly of Mark Montoya, but Mark and Alexander Hernandez seem very surprised that they didn't win this fight. And my question for you, I guess, has to do with that part of it. That it seemed like most people believe Tiago Moises won that fight. Alex yeah, yeah. suggested if maybe you mute the commentary that people would think it went differently. But I thought it was pretty clear 2-1 for Moises. Two of the three judges gave it to him 3-0. Uh, and it seemed like Alex and his head coach felt like they were watching a totally different fight. I, I Look, I had Moises winning that fight kind of easy. I, don't, I, I was right. 
we when we were watching the fight, all of us on the couch were in shock that even Hernandez put his hands up. I'd have to really talk right. to Mark. I don't know if he's more supporting his guy, but I not only did, I thought it was a bad sign. You couldn't have possibly thought you're winning that fight. I I just didn't. Uh, the other guy looked way way sharper. You know, way sharper. Well, Mark went to Bruce Buffer and almost leaned over to try to look at the scores as if to say, are you sure you read that for the right guy? And perhaps Mark's reaction was because there were two 30 to 27s. Um, but if you were to give one of the two fighters all three rounds, I think it would have had to have been Tiago Moises. But I think yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you're even saying that. I really thought yeah. whoever yeah. I was watching the fight with, everybody knew that Moises won that fight. So sometimes I guess... When you're emotionally involved, sometimes you see it different. Because, look, it wasn't the most exciting fight. But I right. like one guy was controlling the octagon for sure. And he was I think they put up the punch stats. He was ahead in every round, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe the other guy had more kicks. Was that it? Maybe that's what the problem was. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not really sure. But I thought one guy looked like he was definitely in control of that fight. Yeah. Well, anyway, we got three title fights this weekend. So enough about that noise. My final question to you is... Israel Adesanya, Jan Blachowicz, main event this weekend, wicked, compelling, light heavyweight championship fight, champion versus champion. Who do you have? How close a fight is it going to be? Talk to me. Uh, If Jan can impose his physicality, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the other guy's the sharp. He's a sharpshooter. He's fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, does he have light heavyweight power when he moves up too, because he's more of a technician, but he does come out of nowhere with stuff, which obviously adds to the power. But, uh, and is he going to be able to hold up? I don't know. This guy is big and strong. That's going to, that's a, I'm, I'm a very excited for that fight, but I think, uh, Adesanya technically, uh, yeah, he's definitely the better technical striker. The other guy looks like he's got, he does look like he's got some Polish power, man. He's he's put some look what he did to Reyes, man, who nobody had done that to him before. So right, right. And what are the odds on that fight? It's like minus two fifty for Adesanya. Jan is around plus two hundred. Will yeah. you be placing any straight wagers or, or parlays this weekend? <laughs> no. I'm no. just getting on my guy. That's it. Just right in in your hat. I'm, I'm take no. I'm taking the plus one thirty five. <laughs> You can't find plus 135 on Aljamain Sterling anywhere in Las Vegas right now. Where's that really? price? I saw that the other day because they made Ray, me. If you can up. get that price, let me know. Yeah, can you? Uh... Oh, wow. I, I swear to God, I saw that the other day. Betos.com. All right. Well, we, we here at the Anakin Florian Podcast would always encourage you to go shop a price, but that would be a stale line. I don't know that that's available anymore. Maybe it is, but he's more plus 105, plus 110. Wow. So. Either way, it's plus money, and you're in a city in which uh, sports betting is not only uh, legal but encouraged. So maybe you should make your way to one of the kiosks, and uh, you know. I think I'll be doing that. All right. Well, <laughs> congratulations on the haircut and everything else you got going on. It really is a testament uh, to you, though, to Kenny's point that you have endured, sustained, and cornered championship-level athletes in the greatest show in the world in three separate decades. So I got to tell you. To you. Yeah, thank you very much. Because I, I do, I, listen, I'm grateful for everything. I love these guys. I love watching them, you know, become successful in all aspects of life. But uh, it has been a crazy ride, man. I got to say, it really, uh, I don't even know how I'm doing it myself. 
Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It's, it's been it's been a long ride, but uh, this will be a really great send off. Maybe. <laughs> like, well, I think I write off it. This guy wins the title. You might never see me again. I just might just get on a horse and just keep on riding. Well, got to be back for title defense number one. But would that be a great way to go out or what for Raymond yeah. Peter Longo? Well, I'm going to try to keep keep the emotions in check if you guys break through this weekend, but you know, I'll be uh, inside very happy for you. You were always, you were always Aljo's biggest fan from six years ago. That's when he was fighting the Johnny Eduardo's of the world, right? Exactly. What happened to those poor guys? Aljo. They're in the gulag right now. (laughs) You got sent to the gulag. That's right. That's right. Um, I want to say that you would, you know what? Your hair actually got better. Since the beginning of the podcast, this is crazy. John, what did he do? Did you spray something on it or fluff it up in between? His his microphone is muted, but uh, I think he's talking about product. Very good. Careful, you're muted. We can't hear you. I was going to say, you guys, good luck to you guys. I I can't wait to watch the fight. It's going to be really interesting, and uh, best of luck. I know you guys are going to do great. Yeah, and it looks stylistically, man, it's an exciting fight at the end of the day. Oh, so yeah. I think uh, I expect Aljo to rise to the occasion the same way he did with Sanders, and that's what I expect. And he's healthy, he looks great, and he has a good week this week of just training. He's, he's ready to go. Have fun out All right, there. Well, we will be back with you next Monday. Will we be celebrating another undisputed UFC championship for Team Sarah Longo? Or will it be Russia's Pyotr Jan spoiling <laughs> the part? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm just trying to keep it uh just Wait, trying to keep it objective what? over, over here. Perfect. You you just lost yourself. What happened? Right. Pyotr Jan! He saved that up the whole no in the UFC. Wow. <laughs> I'm I don't have a boo sound effect, though. That would be playing right now. <laughs> I know. Right. All right. So, wait, are we hooking up when you're out here or no? What are we yes, doing? Uh, it'll be a little bit of a tricky navigation because we're at different hotels, and uh, and you're, I guess, you don't have to get tested. So uh, we'll see what we what, what we can do, but we will uh, we will at least have a conversation in the parking lot. And please send Al Jermaine the best from, of course, uh, the legend Ken Flo and myself. And nice. uh, certainly will. Stay healthy and uh, try to try to get this done, Raymond. Yeah, try to get cool, this done. Man. Go get them, boys. How many more sleeps? How many more sleeps we got? We got like five sleeps, bro. Five sleeps. Swat I think I got that wrong. It's actually six fucking sleeps. Six sleeps. Monday, Shut Tuesday, up. Wednesday. No, Monday, five. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's it's five sleeps. Five. Hey, five sleeps to gold. That's it. Five, five sleeps. Let's go. Get six sleeps and counting the one that John needs to take now to recover. Right. Can you, tell, uh, can you tell I hit a red eye and I'm hurting for certain? <laughs> All right. Hey, we're back next Monday. Ray will be with us, win or lose, because he's just that type of guy. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget merchandise, including Ray Longo Minute merchandise available right now at Podcast.com. Thank you. Thanks to our executive producer, Cody Merrow, uh, Ian Parker, Joe Osborne, everybody else. We will talk to you in less than seven days. Until then, for Ken Flo and Ray, John Anderson, so long for now. Yo, fucking later. Tell your friends. Let's go, Aljo. Yeah.